So I invite you to go ahead and start turning to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. So to give you a little word of warning for this morning, uh, most of you know that I, I, for most of my sermons, I, I, I write them out. I, I, I pretty much manuscript. So I, I write out what I plan to say. And and part of that is that I also generally have a decent idea of how long I'm going to go. I kind of know what I have planned. I know how long we're going to be. That's how long I'm going to stand up here. I do not have that this morning. So I just want to warn you, buckle up, because I have no idea how long I am going to talk. So things are a little bit different this morning. Uh, as you think about important as, as, as someone who preaches, I think you think about important sermons throughout the year. They're all important, but often it's easy to think about, oh, Christmas or Easter, having these sermons that feel like they have a little bit more weight in preparation. And as I was thinking about this, like the first sermon of the new year, like that New Year's sermon, kind of falls into that in a way. Because as we talk about a new year, people often have a, a level of a little bit more, maybe it's new hope or renewed hope. Um, kind of fre- a lot of people go into it as a fre- this is a new year, it's a fresh start. New Year's resolution, whatever, whatever it is that you might have made as a New Year's resolution, it's a fresh start, it's starting something new. And as I look at this, as I look at the text that we're going to be in this morning, we're actually going to really talk a lot about the same text that Tanner preached two weeks ago um, in James chapter 4. We're going to add a couple of verses to it. But I want, I want us to read this and hear this with the lens of, of, of a new start, of, of a fresh start in 2020. Because I think this text leaves us with some choices, with some options in front of us. And, and I want to make sure that we're starting out this year on the right path. Um, Tanner, he left two options at the end of, he read James 4, 1 through 10. And there's kind of two choices, as he talked about. There's, there's a way that is, that is worldliness, that is giving in to our flesh, that is selfish, that desires the things of this world. And then on the, on the other side of that is, is submitting ourselves to God, is, is to commit ourselves to his ways. And those kind of being two options in front of us. And James has been speaking to that. And this morning, what I want to leave you with is basically those two same things. Um, we're going to look at it just a tad bit differently. I want to read James 4, 1 through 12. It'll be up here on the screen for you to follow along. James writes, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. Therefore, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Have you noticed, for those of you who this may be your first time or second or even third, we've been going through James, just kind of walking through it for the last, oh, two months maybe, three months, I don't know. Um, but we've, we've seen James talk a lot about, about different things. He introduces his letter in chapter 1, and then he's been taking this piece by piece, um, re, kind of rehashing what he introduced in chapter 1. But he's continued to give us examples of what worldliness looks like. What, what does it mean to have a love for the world or to act like the world? We saw he talks about partiality and treating people differently. He talks about uncontrolled tongues, like the, the poisonous weapon that, that each one of us has within us. He's talked about religious lip service, just this being a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. He's talked about trusting in the wisdom of this world. This morning we see he talks about speaking evil against one another, following your desires, your passions, and, your, and just your wants. And all of these being the descriptions of what it looks like to live a worldly life, live a life that is in love with the world, is in love with ourselves. But practically, what does this look like for us in 2020? What does this worldly lifestyle look like, as James would describe it? When we talked about worldly wisdom being all about me, myself, I. It's the selfishness, the partiality, treating people differently based on what they can offer us. We saw that in James chapter 2. That these people that came into the church that had wealth were being treated differently because they had something to offer. Do we, do we treat people differently based on what they can offer us or what we think they might suck out of us? What about uncontrolled tongues? Do we always have to be correct? Do we always have to have the last word? Do we always have to be quick to speak, quick to be right, quick to tweet, quick to post? Are our lips filled with inappropriate jokes or, or, or lying? Are we always trying to belittle others? What about the, like the religious lip service that he's talked about? This, this faith without works or being a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. Do we live a life that's just maybe present on Sundays? But that is what the Christian walk is for us, being present on Sundays. Is it the bare minimum? Is it we know how to speak that Christianese? We, we know how to say the right words. We know how to act appropriately. But does our life resemble that of a changed heart? about the tongues that, that just speak evil. Speaking evil against our brothers. James talks about that this morning. Do we speak in a way that, that regularly builds up? 
Are we quick to criticize others, to tear them down? Are our lips full of gossip, of talking about others? When we talk about others, are other people left thinking more highly of them or lowly of them? The the desires of this world, worldliness, it's all those self-words, self-glory, self-fulfillment, self-indulgence, self-satisfaction, self-serving. It's all about us. What can others do for us? How can we make ourselves look better than someone else? And I think it's so easy, so easy for us to fall into this this trap of, of worldliness, into the ways that we work, into the ways that we play, into the ways that we fellowship with other believers in the church, in the ways that we spend our money, in the ways we spend our time, in the ways that we think about others, in the ways we interact with others. I don't think it's always this, this clear thing to us. Oh, I'm obviously being worldly now, or I'm being not. But it, it creeps in subtly, focusing on ourselves, focusing on our desires, our passions, because it's all about me. And again, I think we aren't going to change. We can't expect to change or to just act differently until we see the seriousness, the gravity, the weight of our sin. Like We can't pretend that something's just going to click one day, that something's just going to change, that we can continue to do the same things over and over and over and just expect something in our lives to change. Do we see, do you see, the seriousness of your sin. I'm going to read James 4.11 again for us. I think this is easy to miss, and to miss the gravity, the weight here. He says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. It took me a long time to try to figure out, like, what, what is he getting at? There's a lot of, of do not or, or judge or, or speak evil. I was like, what does this exactly mean? This speak evil, other versions, that, that, that word is translated criticize or, or slander, speak negatively about. So basically, as we do these things, as, you, as we constantly criticize, we speak evil, speak negativity about a brother, about a sister, whether it's to their face or whether it's behind their back, we're basically saying that they're not as worthy of grace as we are. Like, we're going to judge the law. We're going to say, they're not worthy of that. I'm going to judge that they're not worthy, but I am. We're saying that, that grace doesn't apply to them the same way that it applies to us. Like, do you feel the gravity of That's a dangerous thing to judge the grace of God as someone being worthy of it and someone else not being worthy of it. And as we do this, we're basically saying that the law of God, the grace of God that he's given, is not worth fully obeying, worth fully listening to. Listen to what John, John MacArthur writes this. He says, The unimaginable implication of that is that the one who disregards God's law in effect claims to be superior to the law of God, not to be bound by it or to be subject to its authority. 
By such fearful disrespect, the sinner judges the law as unworthy of his attention, affection, obedience, and submission. It's a, it's a serious thing. We might think, oh, that's just one thing I said bad about someone. That's, that's one negative thing I said. I just criticized that person a couple of times. It's not that big of a deal. But it is. Like, do we see the gravity of our sin? Do we, do we feel it as serious as it is? Or are we quick to say, oops, I messed up. I'm just going to move on. It's not that big of a deal. As we talk about like the sins we talked about, whether it's partiality or, 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 or speaking wildly with our tongues, this religious lip service, as we talk about all these things, like they are, these are not just minor slip-ups. Look at James 4, 8 and 9. This is James' response to this. He says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. It's like, because this is serious. He says, do you mourn over your sin? Does your sin lead you to weep, to really be broken over it? Have you ever been in that place of being truly broken over your sin? And why are we not there more often? Realizing the weight of it, the gravity of our sin, our rebellion against God, our rejection of Him, our, our basically declaring that His law isn't worth following. We've got a better way. It's like, I read a story this week. It, it's almost as if we, you go and you're looking to buy a small fishing boat. And you don't have a lot of money, but you still really want to buy a fishing boat. So you, you, you buy a boat that's really rusty, it's really old. It floats. It's got some holes in it. But you're like, it'll do. I'm not going to worry about fixing it. It'll do. It floats. But as a rusty boat with holes in it will do, it takes on water. Slowly, so it's not a big deal. You, can, you continue to go out fishing. You continue to go out in the water. It's just little holes that you can throw the water out occasionally. It's not that big of a deal. But those holes get bigger. More water comes in. You sink over time. And you will die. You will drown. You will sink because you didn't treat the holes as serious. And I, it sounds foolish to think, why would you go out in a boat with holes in it? Like, we're like I wouldn't do that. But yet we treat our sin like this sometimes. We treat our sin as, it's just a couple little things. It's a couple things. Nobody really notices it. I can take care of that. I can deal with it. It's just a little hole, little water. I can cover those up. Nobody will ever know. Why do we treat our sin this way? Our lies, our gossip, our addiction, our pursuit of money, our selfishness. Whatever it is, why do we treat it as if it's not serious? Does it truly feel like James describes it? Does it feel like adultery against God? What does he say? He says, you adulterous people. Do 
Do we mourn? Do we weep over the seriousness of our sin? In 2020, as we look at a new year, as we, as we think about this, like something's got to change. I'm talking to myself probably more than anyone. Like something's got to change in the way that we treat our sin. Like God is going to work. God is going to be glorified no matter what. But just, just imagine what God might do with, with the people that are, that are repent of their sins, that are pursuing Him and with everything they have. They start treating their sin as sin and start repenting and just falling on their knees in submission to Him. This is another quote. It's from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, Go and read the history of the revivals again. Watch the individuals at the beginning. This is invariably the first thing that happens. They begin to see what a terrible, appalling thing sin is in the sight of God. They temporarily even forget the state of the church and forget their own anguish. It is the thought of sin in the sight of God. How terrible it must be. Never has there been a revival, but that some of the people, especially at the beginning, have had such visions of holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin that they have scarcely known what to do with themselves. Until we fully see our sin is sin, and our, our sin is serious against a holy God, we're never going to flee from it. Like until we see the foolishness of our ways, we're never going to repent. But there's a better way. There's a better way than just, than just throwing the water out of the boat. There's a better way than just trying to mask the holes. There's a better way than, than chasing the world, than chasing all those selfish desires. Romans 5, 6-8. Romans 5, 6-8. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. I'm just going to read that a couple times. While we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, while you, with your uncontrolled tongue, as you display partiality, as you just go about with lip service, as you treat others in hateful ways, as you slander others, whatever it is, the sin that has encompassed your life for however long, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were a still, still a sinner, Christ died died. Like, didn't wait for you to repent. Didn't wait for you to change your ways. Didn't wait for you to 
to cleanse yourself, didn't wait for you to make the right choice. Christ died for us. Like, yeah, we should feel the weight of our sin. We should feel the gravity of this. But the beauty there in James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. But he gives more grace. Like, you're, you're longing for the world. You're, you're selfishness. No matter how much your life has been described by wanting the things of this world, you have not outrun, outsend the grace of God. There is more grace. He gives more grace. Like, the same God who created you, the same God who, who knows your heart, you're not hiding it from him. No matter how many times you tried to scoop that water out of the boat, he's, he knows. It's not that he doesn't know. And yet, he died for you. Is that the way of, of trusting Christ? The way of fleeing from the world? That way, it's a road less traveled? It's a way that stands out from the world? It's a way that doesn't make sense to the world. It doesn't make sense it's with thinking of selfishness or thinking of, of worldly desires or riches or, or fame or success. But it is a way that leads to life. It's a way that leads to life. Do you remember who James is writing to? James is writing to believers who have been scattered, persecuted, facing difficulty, facing persecution. And he's posing this question, posing this option before them, saying, which will you choose? The way that leads to destruction, the way that leads to death, this worldliness. Or will you choose submission to God? Will you choose Jesus. Listen, James 4, 8 through 10. I want you to listen to all these direct commands. Starting in verse 8. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. I've read this many times this week. and Seven things. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Humble yourself before the Lord. Seven things says, the flee from worldliness. And here's what it looks like. Flee from worldliness. Look at this. Listen, we, we often, we preach about just the 100% all-encompassing sovereignty of God. He created all things, is above all things, controls all things. Like, salvation is His. He initiates salvation. 
He completes salvation. It belongs to him. And, and mankind has zero ability to save themselves. But at the same time, the same time, God calls sinful people, sinful men, sinful women to repent of their sin, to turn from their sin. Like, we don't just stand by the wayside. He says, repent. Come back to me. Come back to me. Flee your sin. Look at Joel 2, 12-13. It'll be on the screen. Joel 2, 12-13. says, Yet even now declares the Lord. Return. It's not on the screen. Sorry. I'm going to read it. Joel 2, 12-13. Yet even now declares the Lord. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. As we look at James, what he's writing, <laughs> Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Like James is describing repentance, describing what it means to flee the ways of the world. Like, do you hear this? As individuals, as the church, as we, as we begin a new year, what are you going to choose? What are you going to pursue? The ways of this world? Selfishness, worldly desire? What are you going to pursue? Money, stuff? Things that make us feel good? Success? Just trying to look like the family down the street? Friendship with the world? Or will we choose to humble ourselves before the almighty God of the universe? Will we treat our sin as serious? Repenting of it. I know we don't always present it this way. But like, the option is before us. Like, what are you going to choose? It's not a question that your parents can answer for you. It's not one your spouse can answer for you. It's not one your friend can answer for you. It's not one your elders can answer for you. The question is for you. And as we answer that question, are we willing to take the steps necessary to do this? Like, are we willing to treat our sin seriously? Are we willing to repent of it? Even publicly, are we willing to take it before someone else and say, I have sinned against you? Are we willing to make restitution for our sin? To really make it right, not just to say sorry, but to make it right? Are we willing to flee from gossip? Flee from talking about others? Because gossip will kill a community. It's gonna, it will kill us as a community. Like, are you willing to take the steps necessary? Submit to God. Resist the devil. 
Draw near to God. Purify your hearts. So there's serious stuff in here. But there's amazing grace in here. He gives more grace, even in the weight of our sin. No matter how bad we have sinned, He gives more grace. And I believe that the, one of the most primary ways that we can submit ourselves to God as we enter into a new year, as we pursue Him, it's going to be here. It's going to be in His Word. It's going to be reading. It's going to be knowing. It's going to be experiencing Him. I'm going to have Nick come on up. My prayer this week, this morning, has been that we would be a church, we would be a people, we would be individuals who are wholly committed, who surrendered to the Lord. That we would flee from the ways of this world. Whatever cost, we would flee from it. I want to give you a challenge for this week, and I'm going to read Psalm 63 here in a minute. I'm going to read Psalm 63. I want to challenge you to read these words aloud every day this week. I'm not going to ask you next week, did you do it? You had to do it. But I want to challenge you to read these words aloud every day this week. Maybe more than once. Maybe going forward. But I want to invite you to go ahead and close your eyes. Unless you're reading your Bible in front of you. But go ahead and and close your eyes. I'm going to read Psalm 63, 1 through 11. Listen to these words. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul is thirst for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth, they shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king will, shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Your steadfast love is better than life. 
What will you choose? Because Jesus is the only way to life. Will you choose life? God, you are God. You were God before time began and you will always be. But God, you are deserving of all the praise that we could ever give you. God, I pray that you would make these words true in our hearts. God, convict us of our sin. Help us to treat it as it is. But God, I pray that we would all experience the salvation that is had in Jesus Christ. That even for the first time today, that, that, we, that someone might trust in you. Because your way leads to life. That Jesus is life. God, I pray that the 2020 be just the start. It doesn't matter what the past has, has held. You give more grace. God, lead us to choose life. Let us see the beauty of, of salvation. Stir up a thirst within us that can't be manufactured. God, lead us to repentance. Lead us to re rejoicing in the gospel rejoicing because we're part of your family and that you always pursue us. God, be glorified in our lives, in the ways we speak, in the ways we think, in the ways we, we sing, in the ways we work, in the way we play. God, take all the glory and draw us to praise you in every circumstance. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have. A hope that is far beyond this world. A hope that we that we could not go and just obtain for ourselves but a hope that you gave. God, all the glory is yours. In Jesus' name I pray.